I just love that new introduction music. What about yourself, Harps? <laughs> oh, mate, love the little Winter Olympics theme we've got going on there. Uh, it gets me in the mood. Mate, $30 well spent, $30 well spent. <laughs> now, our next guest, so it's our second part of our little curling series. Uh, I'm sure he needs no introduction. He's done about 300 interviews in the last couple of days. He's been on the project and I promise we won't do as many curling uh, puns as they attempted in that interview. Uh, Dean Hewitt, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Oh, mate, it's an absolute, absolute pleasure to have you on. We just spoke to Tali minutes ago. Uh, it was very, very good. And, uh, yeah, this, this should be really good as well. And we're not going to ask you to explain the sport or anything like that. Tali's covered that all off, as we mentioned before. But I'm just going to ask you straight off the bat, I think it's nine days uh, since you qualified for the Olympics. How are you feeling now? I mean, it's exciting. I don't think it's actually sunk in properly yet. Um, but for all the messages that we've had from home and the different interviews that it feels pretty cool and, um, yeah, really looking forward to the month and a half ahead. Mate, and you have a little bit of, uh, I guess, Olympic blood in your family. So your dad actually went to the 92 Olympics for curling as well when it was a demonstration sport. Could you First off, could you explain what a demonstration sport is? So at the time, they were kind of just like trialling out the sport at the Olympics, trying to see the engagement and everything like that and see if they could bring it into a full-blown um, medal sport afterwards. So... Yeah, he had to go through the whole qualification process like every other year. And yeah, they managed to qualify that year and play in Olympics. So it was pretty special and pretty special that we get to do it as well, I suppose, for myself. Mm, yeah. The project, if you're listening, uh, I think that's how you ask a question about a demonstration sport, not trying to throw Dean's <laughs> dad under the bus there. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so back then, obviously, curling being demonstration sport, it was a full Winter Olympic sport in 1924, but then not again until 1998. But I've, like, Nowadays, it seems like it's fairly big for a winter sport, as big as you can be for a winter sport. I'm not sure what it was like then, but why was it? Well, why didn't it become a full sport until '98? Do you know? I don't know why it took so long, um, but yeah, I suppose just the popularity grew and grew, and um, you know, with the Olympics, they always have a quarter in terms of the amount of athletes they can have in on it. So I suppose they allowed it to expand even further and I suppose killing was a sport they could bring in for it. Yeah, cool. And uh, we, we had a look at this article, had a read of this article, which I really, really recommend that you wrote on Athlete's Voice. Um, and you spoke about the spirit of curling, which I think is a very interesting concept. It's very, uh, lots of sportsmanship going on in curling, apparently. So can you talk to me a bit about that? Yeah, exactly. So with curling, it's kind of a gentleman sport, I suppose. So the idea is all around that you would rather lose than win unfairly. And so it's all about sportsmanship, making sure you're doing the right thing out there. Um, so for example, when you're curling and you might touch the rock with your broom as you're sweeping, you can own up to that. And that's what you should do. And you always do. And if a team doesn't do that, that's very unsportsmanlike and completely against the spirit of curling. So the spirit of curling is actually written to the rules of curling and if a rule becomes a bit like in a grey area, it'll just straight away go ahead and um, and come down to spirit of curling where the judgment call will be made. So what's an example where that's like come out and we've seen that in your game? Oh, I actually had a game um, and I think one of the teams, uh, burnt, it's called Burnt the Stone, when they touched the rock as it was coming into um, the field of play. And... I, they said, look, I touched that. And I said, that's fine. You can leave it where it is. Because the, the the rule with that is you can either choose to move it to where you think it would have gone. You can get rid of the rock 
or we can just leave it where it is. And so the spirit of curling is saying, look, I think it would have ended up there anyway. We're just going to leave it. You know, again, spirit of curling, you might actually just remove that rock completely, even though they really didn't do anything to the rock at all. They just, they just grazed it at the end. Is, yeah. is it controversial though? If so, somebody barely touches it, you're like, nah, nah, that's not, that rock, move it off. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not such the best look amongst curling fans. And there was a team which did it the last Olympics and pulled a rock and they got crucified over it. So yeah, you know, it is within the rules to remove that rock, but may not be within the spirit of curling, I'd say. I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't think I'd last at curling if my, uh, my backyard cricket exploits have anything to go by. I never never walk. You have to bowl me to get me out, so I don't know if I, how I'd go with the spirit, to be honest. <laughs> Dean, do you know if there are any other sports with this kind of gentleman's code thing going on? I don't actually know. No, I don't know. Because um, a good example you brought up about, like, you know, if you do nick a ball and you don't walk or something like that, because that was always a tough one. I used to be a cricket player too, and I always jug it up with that as well. And it, It's a tough one. It is a grey area, but I think in curling it kind of goes a step further and says, look, you know, if you do nick a ball, you should really walk. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I've, my theory in cricket is, is you don't walk. I mean, you get that many bad decisions by an umpire. If they make one in your favour, you make the most of it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just quickly again, uh, you mentioned curling fans there. I'm interested to know in Canada, uh, where curling's massive, where you are at the moment, how many people do you get rocking up to your games? Um, well, this season we actually haven't really played um, any big events here. But, like, for example, they've had some trials over here just before and they had a Grand Slam which we attended and they can fill the crowd with you know, from a few thousand, a few hundred to a few thousand people for the big games. So they can fill up stadiums quite full and it's, it's great to see when you get a crowd and you can barely hear yourself think out there. It's, it's fantastic. Mate, that's unreal. And I'm sure that you'll pull up hopefully a massive crowd at the upcoming Olympics. But now we want to go back. We want to go back to the start of the journey. What made you get into the sport of curling? I'm, I'm super interested. You know, we spoke to Tali. She said the community is about 200 people. So how did you find yourself in the, one of the 200 people that was just absolutely <laughs> mad about the sport? Yeah, so I suppose um, my mom's Canadian. So naturally, she was a big curler and um, she met my dad who's Australian and taught him and they curled for years and years on the national team. And then they taught me how to curl and just fell in love with it. You know, I was curling from, I don't know what age I say that I was about five or six years old, but I have no idea. It could have been before that. And, you know, I was even on the tiles at home practicing my delivery before I could get on ice and, um, yeah, just, just love it. And, um, now, now you're kind of, uh, one of the best curlers in the world, I think it's fair to say, cause you're going to the Olympics in a couple of months. So, uh, but you're still, it's, it's not your full-time job. You've got to juggle all this other stuff, studying the past and you worked at IGA, um, exercise physiologist, did a bit of work at Geelong. So um, tell, tell us how you balance kind of the, the need to make money and the, your love for curling and uh, your want to be an elite athlete. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm getting older now. I'm, I'm five years older than Tali, so I've kind of got to look forward to the future a little bit more too and, you know, try and make a living out of it. So, yeah, you don't get a whole lot of money with curling to support yourself throughout your life. So instead, you know, I'm an exercise physiologist by trade and um, spend as much time as I can working, um, in, especially in corporate health. And then, yeah, on the side, I do a couple other jobs around um, at the Ice House, actually teaching curling and an IGA. And 
yeah, you know, I've pretty much got three jobs on the go at once and then have to fit in training around it. So it, it's a busy schedule at home. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, if you won the Australian Championships, which are, funnily enough, held in New Zealand, do you get prize money for that? And if you do, do you know roughly how much? No prize money for nationals. Oh, and there's no right. prize money for world championships either or even the event we just played in. So all the official ones to get you towards the Olympics, there's no prize money. So it wow. is, it's a tough slog. Um, so, yeah, you really got to work hard for it because – it's funny for a lot of years there it was like congratulations you're a national champion now you can fork out six to ten thousand dollars this year to you know pay for your trips overseas so yeah. um, have sponsors so we have um balance plus which is the curling um equipment company but for them it's just mainly equipment so it's not financial we do get some funding from like the olympic institute of australia the aoc um and the Victorian Institute of Sports. So more so like government-based funding, but no sponsors. Yeah, I'm interested because obviously there's 200 people in curling, but that's spread out across Australia. So I'd imagine there's quite a lot of travel involved, mate. I don't know if it's based in Melbourne or where it's based, but I can imagine you have to fight in New Zealand for the championships, overseas for the world championships. So you have to fund that pretty much all yourself. So like you're working these three jobs to help fund your career essentially. Yeah, so for, for most of the years there, yeah, we were traveling, you know, for five five times overseas a year, and that was completely out of our own pocket. So we got really lucky in 2019. We um, we came fourth at World Championships, and then we started to get some more funding from the government avenues, which have really helped to subsidize these trips, especially this one now. Like, we couldn't have been overseas for five months, you know, on our own dollar and not making anything, you know. I Definitely, definitely. It's a massive, massive sacrifice, and... Do you think that um, it'll ever be, it'll ever come to that you could be curling full time and that like you will be receive enough funding, enough sponsoring in Australia where you don't have to worry about having to pay for your own sort of trips, particularly the, given that you're at the elite level? I really hope so. I mean, if you can get the sponsors and, you know, the prize money is slowly going up and up as we go. So, yeah, hopefully get some sponsors. That'd be ideal. Um, hopefully with the Olympics coming up, you know, that might be an avenue to, to promote us a little bit more and um but yeah you know i'd still like to work on the side you know keep that exercise physiology job current and because i love that stuff too um but yeah you know not if it i'd love it to not be such a burden i suppose to have to work to just play yeah uh, and one final one from me on this topic i'm interested is is how does this compare to other countries like in canada are they full-time professional curlers they only have to focus on that yeah, it ranges. The funny thing with Canada is often they do have a second job. Um, they do have a lot of sponsorship, but it's the countries, um, like the Asian countries, where it is their profession, as well as okay. some of the European countries too. They are the national team and they get completely funded by um, the national, national Federation or their Olympic Committee. So it is tough playing against those teams that curl professionally and that's all they do. But um, yeah, I, I still want to keep the passion there. I don't want it to be my job. As, as such, I still want to keep the passion and the enjoyment out of it, though. Now, this one got put to, put to Tali as well, but you've got no idea what she said, so I'm interested to ask it to you. There are obviously so many, uh, inverted commas, obscure sports, smaller sports, uh, fighting for government funding so they can have better athletes and get gold medals and all that kind of thing and uh, have, like, actual rinks, proper rinks in Curling's case. Yeah. So why do you think curling deserves to be sport to get 
government funding? Curling is a really interesting one. I think it's one of those sports where you can play the whole year because it's going to be indoors on ice and you've got so much variety in who can play. Like, for example, I played two world championships with my mother who was like 58 at the time. And there's not many sports you can play at that level like that as well as, you know, at a club level. So at a club, you know, men, women can play together equally as well as we can actually play with people with a disability. So we have wheelchair curling. We have um, people with visual um, issues or, um, yeah, just any kind of disability out there as well. It's, it's fantastic to see how we can actually play together and how inclusive it is. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. And you can play from age six to 86. Like it's, there's so much variety amongst, amongst curlers. Yeah, outstanding. I think Tali even mentioned that you, Dean, might have played with an 87-year-old the other day in Canada in the <laughs> local competition. So it truly is one of the most one of the most inclusive sports. And I guess back on other other countries, I'm interested because uh, we did an Olympic ser- series earlier um, in 2021, and so, some of the athletes actually came from other countries. And I'm interested. Have you ever considered going to one of those countries where curling could be a full time profession because of the greater funding and greater opportunity for you? I really don't think I could. Um, I'm an Aussie through and through. Love it. Here. Love it playing for Australia. Um, and you know, if, if I have to work twice as hard to finance myself to go and play, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I, I just I would struggle playing for another country. I think. Right. And speaking of that, like 87 year old and your mum and these older players. How old are you when you're in your prime? And like, maybe what's the oldest person who could qualify for the Olympics? Because there wouldn't be many nine-year-olds playing at Olympic level, I'm guessing. No. <laughs> um, so I suppose your, your prime is probably uh, early 30s or it, probably all three or 30s even. Like the game, you know, it's so physical itself, but also just like the repetition, throwing like thousands of rockets in your life you really get the feel for everything. You kind of have the intuition and the strategy. You've seen basically everything out there in your life and it gives you so much, I guess, mental strength and mental toughness for those kind of situations too. Like when you're young, you don't get those opportunities to play in those big events as much. You know, when you played it multiple times over and over, like it, it's huge once you get to that older age. You just have that experience, which is so key. Yeah, and I guess that experience probably helped when you competed, like you alluded to earlier, competing with your mum. I mean, what what was that like? I can't imagine too many, I guess, professional, like elite level athletes have competed at, at a world championship stage or national championship stage with their mum. I mean, that's such a cool experience. Oh, it's phenomenal! Like I couldn't trade that for the world. Like it was, it was so much fun. It was an amazing experience, and the backing that we had from other people and. Yeah, you just there's not many sports, as you said, that you can do that in. So, very fortunate, and yeah, loved it. What's your mum's name? Lynn. Lynn, a big hello to Lynn if she's listening. But <laughs> were, were you living with your mum at all, like when you play together on the circuit? Yep, yep, I still wow. am actually, because I'm only okay. home for about yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> four months of the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> When I am at home, I'm living with the parents still. Um, so, ha- yeah, how, what's that dynamic like of competing together and then maybe, <laughs> like, Dean, you've had a shocker one day, you've absolutely lost the game for your team, but then you've got to go home <laughs> with mum and <laughs> eat at the dinner table together. Yeah, it's, it's always a tough one, but 
we always kind of made a, a point of, you know, if, if something goes bad, we can just park it and leave it at the front door and leave that behind us. Um, obviously, we chat about so much curling in the house, you know, with us and dad. Um, it's just, it's huge. It's huge in our house. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And it's awesome that you have such a strong, that strong connection with um, with your mother with the competing. But obviously, you now compete with Tali. So how did that come come about? What made you think that, yep, Tali was the person that you wanted to partner up with and try and, I guess, eventually go to the Olympics with? Yeah, so I suppose the first year I played with mum, we missed out on the playoffs by a matter of about this much. Um, so oh, we're really close. And, just for the listeners. Yeah. Then. Yeah, it was tiny, and um, essentially, we we're playing pretty well. But I, but Mum and I were both chatting. We said, "Look, you know, for the next Olympic cycle, we've got to be looking forward to you know what we can do, and we need to develop a bit more." And we both agreed that we probably need to find a, a younger player to play with me. So that following year, we played nationals, me and Mum, and so we're still going to play another World Championships. But we saw Tali out there, and she was playing amazing against us, and. So, yeah, we we decided that I'd give her a call, and sure enough, Tali agreed that we'd you know, make a make a run for this Olympics. And we said, look, even if we don't make this Olympics, we're going to push for the following one. So, yeah, it was it was super exciting, and um, we mum and I still played at the following World Championships, even though I was going to play with Tali. We were committed to that, but mate, so so did you have to sack your mum? Is that what I'm hearing? You had to say, sorry, <laughs> mum, you're out the door. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was definitely a mutual agreement. <laughs> so when you teamed up with Tali, you you see her play well against you and all that kind of thing. But do you have to analyze her character as well because you're traveling the world together. You're spending months and months and months together. So you have to have a pretty good relationship to be a good team. So are you not just analyzing her skills, but kind of analyzing her character and personality? Yeah, I suppose we'd kind of known each other for a few years there. Um, we'd played on the junior men's and women's teams at the same time. So we knew about each other, kind of interacted a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, and so, you know, I, I knew she was, you know, a decent person and I knew her family was a pretty good family. So we had a training camp um, before we started playing together and it seemed to click and yeah, you know, it, it was a bit of a gamble because we didn't really know each other that well. Um, but at that time we just said, well, we're the two players, which we think we can make it to the Olympics. Let, let's go for it. So, from all the kind of hints I'm picking up, it feels like you two have probably got a pretty pretty good relationship from what I'm hearing. You've like, you qualify for the Olympics, so you've good team chemistry, I'm guessing. So, wh- why why have you got a good team chemistry? What makes Tali a good teammate and why does she complement you so well? Yeah, I think we, we work hard on our team dynamics. Um, we, you know, at the start of when we played together, we said, you know, what do we like and don't like? You know, what do we like to hear? What don't we like to hear? And, um, make sure we kind of abide by those things. And yeah, she's just a fun loving kind of girl. And she just, yeah, loves to have a good chat and a good laugh and doesn't take things too seriously. And I think that that's a really important thing because I can get a bit serious um, on the ice, but she can be a bit more relaxed. So it, it kind of works well for us. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to meet Tali before. Yeah, she's definitely a lot of fun. And she actually, she has a question for you, Dean. We asked, asked Tali, what, what's one question we should ask Dean, anything in particular? And I don't know why, but she, she wants to know what do you what do you find the most annoying thing about Tali? That's what she wants to know. What annoys you oh. <laughs> about her? <laughs> I tell her this on like a daily basis. No. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> no, like she's just great. Like I, I don't know if I can really find anything about it. Every so often she'll forget something and yeah. that can kind of get on the nerves when I've already told her something. But um, no, like she's, she's just great. Yeah, and for she's our, not for our, important, our like she's not forgetting to bring the brooms to a game or anything like no, that. No, it's it's never anything important. That's the okay. key. So anytime uh, we get to game time, it's all good. So that that's the most important thing. Uh, no, that's a great answer, Dean. Although I did see in the chat box that you said if if you wanted me to answer this question in full, the podcast interview would go for three hours. So <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he didn't actually say that. He didn't actually say that. I'm just I'm putting, words in, putting words in his mouth. Sorry, Dean. Uh, Dean did not do anything like that. Anyway, so you brought up the brooms, and I'm interested. So, is there particular like brands of like brooms? Like, what are the different types? I saw in that athlete's voice. Um, article that you mentioned, like they used to be like a couple of kilos a few years ago. Now they're like 200 grams. I mean, tell us a little bit about the brooms that you use and how they've evolved. Yeah. So they used to be um, wooden with like um, corn on the end of it. So they used to be ridiculous to sweep, heavy. Um, I don't know how they did it back then because they were half whacked on whiskey too. Um, <laughs> maybe that's how they did get through it. Maybe, you know, they just didn't feel the pain or the fatigue. But um, these days, you know, you, you can't put the flask inside the broom. They literally had flask inside the broom. It was just no fantastic. Way. But <laughs> these days, I I kid you not, but um, these days the brooms are completely hollow. So they would have got really excited. I mean, you could put like liters of whiskey in it now, but I haven't seen anyone at a professional level scull a, a broom yet. Um, but <laughs> but um, yeah, these, these brooms now are completely carbon fiber. So they're super light. Um, still very strong every so often one breaks, but they're very strong and, um, yeah, they've all got kind of a standardized head on the bottom now. And it's kind of this yellow fabric, um, which you have to use because they kind of want to level the playing field a little bit so that your advantage is purely strength and power rather than a special broom head, I suppose. In what situation, like what situation would have to occur for a broom to break? You can break it just sweeping because you're putting so much downward force through it that you can just snap the thing in half. And one of my mates, one of my men's teammates literally broke one. Oh, I think it was just three weeks ago. It wasn't a balance plus broom. I'll tell you that much. Though. It was a different <laughs> broom, which he was trialing and he's never going to go for that broom again. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously you're the main guy who uses the brooms uh, in, in the team. So what, what training, training methods are you kind of, using uh not not just with the broom but gym workouts anything like that what, what do you do to um improve your game yeah i've got to spend a lot of time in the gym um because that upper body strength and power is just key to put as much weight over the broom as you can while moving the broom as quickly as possible so i'll spend hours in the kitchen floor at home and um sweeping the tiles off and on doing intervals for 20 to 25 seconds at a go at once and then you know, taking a minute off and then going again and, you know, repeating that over and over and over. And if you can just imagine, you know, doing a 20 second sprint outside and then, you know, having a little bit of recovery and doing it again and doing it multiple times over and over, like it is rough. It's tough. Do you get many injuries? You can. Yeah. Um, with sweeping, it's more so in the, in the upper body for sure. And then for, you know, when you're actually throwing the rock to you, it's your knees because you're getting such a low, lunge that your knees in such a compromised position so often that like meniscus often go and um yeah knees are a common one for curling as well yeah i was gonna say the sports really transitioned then from like 
how you mentioned earlier, people were <laughs> smoking cigars, drinking whiskey. Yeah. Now you've got all these interval sessions, spending five hours a day in the gym. It's the sport's definitely it's definitely grown, hasn't it, over the years? Yeah, it has changed a lot. Um, like a lot of other sports, I think curling was a little bit slower to go to the high performance side of things. Um, but there's still curling rinks out here where you can drink on the ice and there's even a phone at the end of the sheet where you can call the bar and they'll bring you your drinks for you. Like it is, it is phenomenal. Um, but no, we don't do any of that anymore. Um, but yeah, it, it is a lot of fun. I'll tell you what, next, some next work that don't have that kind of service. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I was going to say next work Christmas party, booking curling and drinks. Yeah. Sounds like that sounds yeah. like the way to go. That's right. <laughs> yeah, like we can get that curling rink in Australia if we just tell them you can serve alcohol there. Just like use it as a bar. Yeah. And the, the curling will be here in no time at all. But um, let's talk about the World Championships for a bit because I think talking about the 2019 World Championships, I think it was, you finished fourth. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, it's exciting when I say that you finished fourth because that hopefully good signs coming into the Olympics. Tell me about those World Championships uh, with Tali. Obviously, why, were you, uh, why, why did you perform so well there? Who knows? No. <laughs> um, essentially, that was our second, sorry, third event together. So we hadn't played a whole lot. Um, we basically only curled for three weeks together before that world championship. So, um, yeah, I suppose it was kind of fresh in the team. And it was kind of lucky that I'd played a couple of world championships before that with mum and um, had that kind of experience there anyway. And, you know, mum and I were, again, this much away from making playoffs. So, just to make that next step over. And we only just scraped through again. Then we kind of, you know, ran the table a little bit when we got to finals and um, yeah, it was, it was really good. But I think just that experience from the previous couple of years and having Tali there that was just making a couple of really clutch shots to win some games there was just, was phenomenal. Yeah. And unreal. And I think um, you came fourth, didn't you? I mean, what sort of confidence does that give you heading into the Olympics that you've recently come fourth in a world championship yeah i mean it's huge um confidence is so key for us and you know the past the past three months as well has been really good you know won three events in a row um and hopefully we can you know build on that again going to this into the olympics as well your coach is john morris Uh, that's correct yeah yeah, someone named that guy. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so Locker was telling me, legend of the sport. I think two Winter Olympic gold medals, uh, including, in the mi- including in the mixed doubles, I believe, one of them in twenty eighteen. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable career. Um, many, many people uh, would envy the amount of success he's had in the sport. So tell me about him as a coach, though. What, what kind of coach is he? What, uh, is he kind of bit of a bit of a soft touch? Is he a bit more like a caring guy, or does he go really hard at you? Tell me about him. He's the whole package. He's a real interesting guy. Like he's such a good fella. So essentially we met up with him, you know, a couple of years ago and have been with him for a little while. And he, he said at the start, he's like, look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm just going to tell you the truth. And that's what I love. And that's what I wanted to coach. Just tell me straight out, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to fix? Because that's how you get better. I'm happy to say that, you know, I'm doing something wrong let me know because that's how you, you get better. And, um, but he is that kind of guy that, you know, if you're in a rough spot that he will pump you up. If you're in a tough position, he, he kind of has that inkling about how you're feeling and just has that natural ability to, to get you in the right headspace as well. I suppose he's just got such a wealth of experience that he can just 
you know, be that different coach, put on those different hats when you need him to. I know most people listening to this don't know too much about curling, but now you've probably listened to the Tali episode and you, you might know a bit about it. So you can get as technical as you'd like here. What kind of things has he told you when you are in a rough spot? Uh, maybe little little tactics or even mentality things to help you lift your game. Just simple things like, Dean, you just got to get out to the broom. Like I was just sliding a bit narrow of where the target was. And he's like, look, you just need to, you know, shift your hips and just get out there. Just simple cut, clear cut, because, you know, we've, we've trained like that before. We know how to fix those things, but just simple cues to say, look, you need to be doing this to make that shot. And then he always finishes on, come on, you got it. You know, it's, it's always a positive statement, the belief and a few swear words in there too, <laughs> which is always fun. <laughs> and he dropped one in the final there, which the media wasn't too happy with, but we loved it. And he's, um, he's really good value. Mate, unreal, unreal. And I reckon we just about time to move on to the Olympics, to the main event. But before we do so, the Olympic qualifiers. Now, the sponsor, I believe the main sponsor of that event might have been a sex toy company. I mean, how often does that happen in high-level sport? <laughs> I have never seen it in my life. It was <laughs> it was fascinating. It was branded everywhere. So, I mean, it was, I think it was great for the company because I think they got a lot of promotion from it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit eye-opening, I suppose, to see that that was one of the sponsors, I suppose. Uh, phenomenal. That is, <laughs> you were telling about that, telling that to us off air. We had no idea before. So thank you for telling us that. That's, that's a really good little, where do we begin to scoop there? Uh, so cheers. But about the Olympics though, um, Tal- Tali said what, uh, like she talked to us about goals and you're having a little break now, I know, but. Have you, have you thought about goals yourself or spoken with Tali uh, for the Olympics coming up? Yeah. Um, our goal going into this season was all about making the Olympics. And that was our pure focus because we didn't want to get ahead of ourselves and that. But, you know, our coach, when we first chatted to him, he's like, look, I don't want you guys to just make the Olympics. I want you guys to podium. So that's his goal for us. Um, I don't know if we're going to achieve that or not. We really hope we do. That is a goal for sure. I mean, coming home with a medal would be amazing. Um, but, you know, first Olympics, we'll see how we go and we'll be happy with whatever we can do out there and just build on that and hopefully for the next Olympics as well. Again, in this Athletes Voice article, I, I just want to talk about this now because Australia's position, the position Australia's in compared to the best teams in the world, the facilities are just absolutely nowhere near it and the, the ice Talk to me about the ice in Australia because it's you uh, refer to it like playing lawn bowls on sand, lawn bowls at the beach or something in that article. It's yeah. phenomenal that you've got there and um, you, you could podium. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's always tough in Australia. You know, we need a, a dedicated curling ring. So if there's any people out there watching that has a bit of money and wants <laughs> to get some coverage, I mean, I'm happy to chat to you. Um, but, yeah, we need the ice to be completely flat. And like when we're talking flat, like if it's a centimeter off from both ends of the rink, we'll know it and we can feel it. So um, we need it completely flat and we need it to be dedicated ice. So skating ice just doesn't cut it for us. Um, So we need to go overseas so often to actually get that dedicated curling ice. And, you know, the, the possibilities to then actually host international events at that venue and especially because New Zealand has a few dedicated rinks, like how New Zealand has three rinks and we don't have one, I have no idea. But, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, we can bring some curlers down from the Northern Hemisphere to come play in a few events across, you know, the Trans-Tasman. That would be, like, epic. So, 
we really, really need some dedicated ice to, you know, improve a little bit more, you know, and then we don't have to travel as much too. We can spend a little more time at home. Mate, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, eventually Australia can can get that. And it's funny, watching the Summer Olympics, something that I picked up on, and I'm really interested in you, an athlete that's going to these Olympics. So, if you had a, if you had a choice, would you rather lose a gold medal match and win a silver or win a super, super close bronze medal match? Because I just always found the reaction when the bronze medalists won a close match was just euthoric because there's such a difference between a bronze and no medal compared to bronze and silver, I reckon. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I always know that, like, it's always a tough position to be in when you lose a game and get silver. Yeah. But at the end of the day, silver is a high ranking. So for me, any kind of medal is great. And if, if I did get a choice between silver and bronze, I would rather lose <laughs> the final and get silver yeah. than, you know, win the bronze, I think. Less stressful because yeah. at least you know you're getting a medal. <laughs> I think so. That it's it's probably the most fun game you can be in is that gold medal game because at the end of the day you're getting a medal, like you're guaranteed. So, yeah. yeah. And I think Lockie and I were talking about this during our Olympics coverage in 2021. How short term, probably you feel better getting the bronze medal because you've you've won the game, but mm-hmm. long term when you're looking back on it in. 50 years or whatever, uh, yeah, probably feel better getting a silver medal even though you lost the gold medal match. But the question that we ask at the end of every podcast to all our guests, uh, we've spoken a bit about your life, gone through all your challenges, that kind of thing. So we ask, I'll ask you, do you have a life philosophy, Dean? Any little quote or words that you live your life by and help guide your decisions maybe? I think for me it's, it's kind of just like make it happen. That was a kind of thing in, in primary school. Um, that, you know, if, if you put your mind to something, really go hard for it and make it work and make it happen because, you know, life is, is short and if you can, you know, put yourself in the position to do something and even if you fail, so be it, at least you've made the choice to go for it because it's kind of like that, that quote around like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So Love same it. kind Love of philosophy. Bit of, Michael, awesome. bit of Michael Jordan, but no, that's, that's, yeah. an unreal, that's an unreal life philosophy. I, I love that. And now it's uh, time to, to go to my favorite part of the show, the where do we begin quiz, harps. Hit that oh, music, please. I'm very, very excited for this, Dean. Uh, you probably don't know, but Tali, we had a lot of fun with Tali, the where do we begin quiz just before. So it's time to hit that famous where do we begin quiz music. Oh, every time. Gives me the shivers down the spine. It's, oh, it just gets you so excited, that cruise music. Uh, Lucky, you'll know that we mixed it up, and the listeners will know that we mixed it up with Tali last time in the Where Do We Begin quiz. For, I've got five questions for you, Dean, and you, Lucky, for both of you going against each other. Um, oh, okay. And so for all of these questions, they've got a kind of Winter Olympic theme with all our Winter Olympic guests. And for this specific theme, for this specific quiz – I'm going to read out the lyrics to some songs that have some relation to cold weather, winter, uh, that kind of thing. It's, we're recording this a week before Christmas, so maybe some Christmas in there, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm going to read out the lyrics. You can buzz in at any time with your name, so Dean or Lockie, uh, and then, yeah, see, if you get it right, you get the point. If you get it wrong, you're gone uh, for, and you can't buzz in again. Um, so I've got a five-minute – I'll share my screen, actually. I've got a five-minute timer here. I'm going to read out the songs I can read in five minutes. Whoever's got the most points after the five minutes, 
takes out the Where Do We Begin quiz. So, uh, Dean, Lockie, are you ready to go with our first question, our first song? Hit me. Okay. Our time starts now. Elsa, do you want to build a snowman? Come on. Let's go and play. I never see you anymore. Come Lockie, out the door. Let, Lockie, Lockie let, it, let it go. Let it go is incorrect. <laughs> let it snow, sorry. Let it snow. Uh, you it? can't buzz it twice, but oh. that's incorrect anyway. Oh, fire out. <laughs> I'll do the little incorrect thing again. There we go. Um, I never see you anymore. Come out the door. It's like you've gone away. We used to be best buddies, and now we're not. I wish you would tell me why. Do you want to build a snowman? It doesn't have to be a snowman. Oh, no. Dean, have you got any idea there? What am I supposed to be answering again? Like, what, what's the name the, of the song. You've got to guess what the oh, song Oh, the name is. of the song. I thought it was like winter sport thing, so I kind of got oh, lost. Oh, yeah, sorry, I probably didn't explain that too well. <laughs> name of the song, yep. Uh, do you want to build a snowman? Oh, yes, exactly right. If I told you that earlier, you probably would have got oh, straight Oh, yeah, so, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> I thought but, there was um, like a yeah, link there to a go. sport there. Yeah, I was getting lost. <laughs> <laughs> um, next one. Dean's one nil up with about four minutes to go. Uh, this one's got a kind of call and response thing. I really can't stay, but, baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away, but, baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been, been hoping that you'd drop in. So very nice. I'll hold Lockie? your hands. Lockie? Lockie. Is, it, is it Santa Baby? Santa Baby is incorrect. Oh. My mother will start to worry. Beautiful, what's your hurry? My father will be pacing the floor. Listen to the fireplace roar. So, really, I'd better scurry. Beautiful, please don't hurry. But maybe just half a drink more. Put some records on while I pour. The neighbours might think, baby, it's bad out there. Say, what's in this drink? No cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew how. Your eyes are like starlight now. Dean, have you got any idea? I might just move on to the next I got nothing. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> okay. uh, you probably hear this song around this time. It's a Christmas song. Uh, it's Baby, It's Cold Outside. Oh. Um, but oh. I'll, I'll, I'll move on to the next one. We've got two and a half minutes. Next one. You change your mind like a girl changes clothes. Yeah, you PMS like a bitch. Dean. Dean. Oh. Bye, Nah. Fireworks, oh, no. incorrect. It's oh, hot and oh, cold. Drum roll. That's not hot and cold. Mm. Hot and cold. Harper, <laughs> hot, hot and cold. cold. Katy yeah. Perry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, hot yeah. Hot cold. Wrong <laughs> Katy Perry song. <laughs> oh, wrong. How could you do that to Katy? I know. Um, anyway, next one. Uh, is it one all? I think it is one all. I believe it next is. Next one. Uh, come to decide that the things that I tried were in my life just to get high on. When I sit alone, come get a little known. But I need more than myself this time. Step from the road to the sea to the sky. And I do believe that we rely on, when I lay it on, come get to play it on. All my life to sacrifice. Hey, oh, listen what I say. Oh, I got your, hey, oh, now listen what I say. Oh, oh. Have you got any idea? I'll give you two. <laughs> Rocky, oh. <laughs> oh. Is incorrect. <laughs> Dean? Oh, I, I've heard seconds. those lyrics. I've heard those lyrics. I'll tell the answer. It's snow. 
uh, Hey Oh by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, uh, it's one, yeah. it's I didn't know all. that's what it was called, actually. Yeah. Anyway. There you go. Um, yeah. It's one all. This could be the deciding one. We've got about a minute left. Oh, okay. the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, Dean. let it snow. Dean. Let it snow. Yeah, it's let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. So I'll give that to you. Two, one up. Lucky, we've got <laughs> is, is, that another, is that another Frozen song? No, it's just a, it's just a Christmas song. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one. Uh, let me get a good one, actually. Uh, okay. Um, yo, VIP, let's kick it. Ice, ice, Dean. baby. Dean. Oh. Ice, ice, baby. <laughs> ice, ice, baby is absolutely correct. Do, do, I get it, do I get a point for saying vanilla ice? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You've got... 10 seconds to get two right to draw it back. Lockie. Okay. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? Do. In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy Lockie. tonight. Lockie, Christmas that's is the time. Christmas is, Christmas is the most wonderful time of year? Uh, I've never heard that in my life. It's oh. incorrect. <laughs> uh, Dean, walking in a winter wonderland. Yeah, that was the next line. Walking in a winter wonderland. Absolutely correct. Am I the only one that doesn't know Christmas carols? I've actually got no idea. I've never Have listened to Have you never to been to the supermarket in December, mate? <laughs> Jesus. See, um, but anyway. Richie's IGA. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I miss all the other ones, but I get the Christmas ones. <laughs> Dean's taking out the quiz. 4-1. 4-1. That is just a remarkable win. And we've got to play the music. Very nicely done. Dean, have you got anyone you'd like to thank for that uh, uh, after... The pinnacle of your life, I think it's fair to say. I think it was Fred Harrison from Richie's IGA yes. for that one. <laughs> Good, shout out. Good shout out to old Freddie. <laughs> yeah, big shout out to Fred if he's listening. Um, but that just about wraps us up, Dean, actually. So uh, well done on the quiz. That Lockie's two defeats in a row to start the new year. Oh, like, no, Tally he lost the tally. So get well, back it was on, on winter wall. sports, mate. I haven't seen it. I, <laughs> I had no mate. idea. I told you to revise them last night, so no excuses. But Dean, well done on the win. Thank you very, very much for coming on again. And I will say we've done a pocket profile with Dean as well. Uh, and you can find all our pocket profiles. They're really good uh, for just for three bucks for all of them. And some more stuff on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash where do we begin. Uh, so check that out. I think you'll enjoy it very much. Lockie, anything else you'd like to say? Nothing else to add. I'd just like to thank Dean for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure and can't wait to uh, hopefully watch you medal at the Olympics. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. That was a lot of fun. It's a pleasure, Dean. Thank you. And thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back very soon with another Winter Olympics episode. <laughs>